Welcome to the Bank of Me podcast channel, looking at how individual and team performance build strong cultures. Hosted by James Farrow and Chris Preston. You are listening to a deep dive episode. Hello, and I'm delighted to have with us today James Skinner, the Director of Digital Technology at Specsavers, talking with us about remote working, his experiences of how he's remote working, why he has particularly remote worked over the years, and bringing bringing some tips and tricks and, and best practice to anyone both remote working and leading people in that environment. So welcome, James. Hi, Jane. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being with us. Now, tell us a little bit to get us started so that people get to know you, a bit about your career background, your journey, and then a little bit about James. As you said, I'm, I'm Director of Digital Technologies at Specsavers. I haven't been there terribly long so far. I joined in, uh, in November. I'm responsible for our digital platforms in our sort of business as usual world. A lot of our appointments uh, are booked through our, our online platform, about 50% of our appointments as an e-commerce business, we're fairly on a fairly immature with not a huge amount of trade going through uh, through the, the web platforms. But nonetheless, uh, digital obviously hugely important, particularly right now as our stores are closed uh, in the main and also working on our digital transformation journey. Um, and uh, there's a, an awful lot of legacy platforms involved in our in our technology stack. And we, we've been been working through a, a whole load of activity from both the business and the technology side to to transform ourselves digitally a little bit. So before joining Specsavers, I was at Dyson, uh, responsible for owner experience and retail technology, so broadly customer-facing technology. And we built there a kind of a £1 billion direct online business in five years. Direct wasn't hugely important to Dyson. Uh, historically, it was much more of a wholesale business, and, and I came into a small team uh, in, in digital and, and, and as just at the cusp of the, the transformation journey starting then. But my digital career probably started back in professional networking for niche groups. So worked with lots of groups of accountants, lawyers, marketeers, some charities, various not-for-profits, and, and they all shared this desire to collaborate, whether that was on knowledge sharing or direction setting, legislation, and, and all sorts of, of, of interesting stuff. Uh, and we built and ran uh, online communities for them. So uh, they, they kind of were doing the remote collaboration thing. And I'm, I'm not sure they necessarily realised they were doing it back then, but they were doing a, a lot of what uh, we take for granted now and, and joining together as sort of remote disparate, uh, disparate teams. After that, I, uh, I went into uh, digital agency life, mixture of tech and consultancy, a bit of client service and strategy. And one of the things that I think I learned, particularly from one of the one of the really boutique agencies that I worked for, was the, the concept of a kind of an always on culture. It's the way that the, uh, the CEO referred to it there. And he's absolutely right. And that, that there was an expectation that in some roles in digital and in, in agency life, there's an expectation that you're always there for your customers, you're always available. And, and, and being able to do that without being sat in the office, obviously, is, is super critical. So, yeah, moved on from there to Dyson, tiny digital team, probably 10 people or so at the time. Uh, and we grew that hugely uh, as we built up the direct trade, delivered a digital transformation. And one of the things I did more, more recently there was get involved in some of the retail technology. 
uh, and that was again one of the one of the interesting things about Specsavers is bringing the whole omni-channel journey into into focus uh, as we bring together our kind of our store uh, landscape with our uh, our online uh, online channels and try to try to blend those journeys together for for our customers. Wow, a huge amount there, which is is great to draw upon. And I want to pick up a little bit as we go about the whole community and collaboration piece in particular. Um, but you've mentioned obviously, you know, the, the the agency world also being being important to to collaborate, but also remote work as well. And and so, given that that's the real theme, just tell us a, a bit more about your experience of of remote working. And and obviously, we're recording this within the COVID nineteen environment. But but you've been remote working for longer than just this last few weeks haven't you absolutely so i mean right now as you say remote working has been suddenly thrust into the limelight for, for a lot of businesses who haven't embraced it historically spec savers is quite different i think the, the business is geographically quite disparate and it's also a quite a unique partnership so we've got uh, individually owned businesses or our, our store partners and retail partners and they form quite a sort of surprising amount of input into some of the things we're doing. So they're involved in steer, helping us steer our digital transformation. And so we, we need to, to, to bring them together. And our head office, such, such as it is, it's kind of te- technically called a support office, is based in Guernsey. The office I'm based out of is, is in Southampton. We've got office in, in Nottingham. We've got teams out in Northern Europe, in Copenhagen. We've got people um, in Australia and Melbourne and in New Zealand. And... You know, the, the e, our e-com strategy director is based in uh, in Australia. And so you've got a physically distanced environment uh, and actually the business is really used to having that collaboration going on remotely. It's totally normal at specs, even in normal times, for a meeting to have a Teams call on it because somebody will be remote on it, whether they are working from home, whether they, they never work in the same office, whether they're in a different country. It, it, it's just It's just normal. And... Interestingly, for me personally, the ability to work for Specsavers is is enabled by remote working. So I spend a few days and nights a week down in Southampton because I I, I absolutely love being part of the the whole uh, physical culture uh, and and being face to face with people. But fundamentally, I couldn't do that five days a week because you have to have the right sort of work life balance and and do the school drop offs and all of those all of those sort of things that you need to be able to do. So. If if the if the business didn't embrace remote, then I wouldn't be able to have the have the job I've got. I think going back to the uh, to the agency world historically, there's there's a, a a huge sort of studio culture that's really important of having some of your core kind of creatives, your copywriters, your designers, your web developers, and so on, as part of a buzzing studio atmosphere, often with the radio on in the background and all of those all of those sort of things that make agencies what they what they are. But from that client services point of view. You need to be able to work with your clients any time of the, any time of day. Whether you, you know you might be on the train up to London, you might be on a flight to the different a different country, and still need to check in with a with, with a wide range of people. So, hugely important to be able to to have the right kind of uh, technology in place and ways of working in place to 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 make that work. But Dyson was really interesting. A lot of what happens at Dyson is lab based, workshop based. There's there's amazing kind of acoustic testing booths and all and all kinds of stuff that's that's locked away in in the uh, R and D world. Huge amount of security and secrecy around the products, and so remote working was culturally quite quite different and difficult to to make 
uh, make work and we almost had to introduce it a little bit by uh, by stealth but the need to do it was driven by attracting the right people um, we were based in in Wiltshire where I am now but um, uh, in in effectively the middle of nowhere and the, the sort of the digital and technology talent pool is quite London centric and we needed to make sure we could tap into it to get the sort of people we wanted and and alongside that those people see remote working as as kind of table stakes basic hygiene it's not it's not a perk it's just the way that the way that they operate so you know we we, we had a, in my career had a, had a mix of allowing remote working or empowering remote working because it's absolutely mandatory to, to make the, to make things operate through to using it to get uh, the right talent in, into play and, ev- and everywhere in between but, but as I say it, it's it, it's fundamental to me personally in, in the ability to, to, you know, to do the job that I do. Yeah, and I think that point, James, that you raise about talent is so critical because I, I, I certainly see that those organisations that we work with where they have access to all different types of talent, you know, from, from a whole range of different sources, countries, backgrounds and so on, you know, that where they're able to tap into that via remote working approaches and where that's just part of their culture, they've got a richness that is quite unique. And, and I hope that the, the acceleration towards more remote working across the globe now will really open up more opportunities for people to involve different types of talent in different ways moving forward. I, I think that's a real positive that will come out of, of the, the drive towards more remote working. But um, tell us, you obviously, you've obviously done, you know, you've, you've been in the remote working space for a while yourself. What, what were the adjustments you had to make at the beginning? And what did you learn when you first moved to that slightly different way of, of working when you weren't in the office all of the time with people and that radio on and the buzz that you mentioned earlier? I think for me, the, the key word is trust. Without, the, without trust, remote working doesn't work. It's like the fundamental enabler to, to make, it, make it work. I think if you suspect that somebody is isn't working hard because you can't see them, then you're not built for it, um, whether that's as a leader or whether that's as somebody who's actually you know, part of a, of a, of a team. You, you have to focus on the outcomes uh, and, and you have to trust that talented people deliver outcomes and, and it's kind of, that, that's what they're built for, that's, how, that's, that's what drives them. It doesn't matter how many hours they spend achieving an outcome, it's about getting, getting what, the, what that deliverable is, what that, what that objective complete uh, looks like. And so there's there's a there's a big adjustment towards putting aside that kind of I can't see Dave, so I don't know what Dave's doing. Am I worried about whether Dave's doing anything at all? You have to trust Dave because he's a professional, he's career focused, he, he's he's a talented person. That's why you've brought him into the business. You need to trust him to go and get on on with his job. And I think that the the tooling and the technology is more important than than people think. I've seen a lot of teams will gravitate to a particular tool. And the adoption, this, this goes right back to where, where we, we were doing kind of online community stuff. It was, it was all about trying to go where the conversation was happening, not try to drag the conversation to you. So we talked to a lot of clients about, uh, we want to have a community of practice relating to project management, for example, and how are we gonna get it on our website? And our answer was, well, maybe you shouldn't go and get it on your website. You should go to the places online where that's already happening. And I think it's the same with your, your kind of internal collaboration across across teams. Some teams will focus on Slack, for example. Dev teams particularly, they love Slack. 
and I found a lot of business colleagues can't really get their heads around things like Slack, they don't really understand it. They're much more used to working with tools like PowerPoint and Excel and so on. And the fact that that integrates really well with Microsoft Teams is great for them because they can collaborate and share on documents they're working on uh, and, uh, and you know, the, the, the kind of the chat and the direct you know, live engagement is perhaps less important. And conversely, developers hate it and, and want to use Slack all the time. So I think one of, the, one of the learnings is if a team is gravitating towards a particular tool or a particular forum or a particular uh, community group or whatever, whatever it is, let them use it. Figure out how to connect it with your business uh, and, and make it work as part of your, you know, your landscape, your infrastructure. Don't try to force people to use something that doesn't work for them because basically they won't won't want to use it and they won't use it. Yeah, and I think that point around the tech, I mean, we've been saying for many years, as you know, from our work together at, at Dyson, that that it, just the tech isn't enough. You have to focus also on the culture around it, don't you? And the ways of working, the belief, the behavior that goes with it and not let just the tech drive it. And your point around, you know, everybody's different and therefore thinking about what's going to work for different people is is absolutely a big learning for many when it comes to managing people and working with people when you're not you know physically with them in in the same space so i think that's a a great point and you mentioned trust which absolutely is the bedrock of of any relationship right even if it's if it's not um remote what what were some of the things that that you were able to do to build that trust that might be useful for anyone listening to to think about I think part of it is um, is around. I'm going to call it self marketing. That sounds really awful way to describe it, but actually everyone benefits from communicating what you've achieved. And actually, as you as you articulate what you've delivered, not in not in a me 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 look at what all the great stuff I've done way, but just being clear about what you what you've delivered, you start to build up that reputation for getting things across the line, for delivering value, all of, all of those sort of things, and people start to to, to observe that. That, that that trust there that you will get you will get things done as a as a leader i've always taken it as the starting point if you like which is that i will i trust you and you don't have to prove that that's the right decision you might demonstrate over time that it was the wrong decision uh, in which case we might have to to re- revisit how how things work but 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 fundamentally i'll start as, as a baseline of I, I trust you I trust that you're here to do a good job and that I've hired you for a good reason and that that, that we'll start on that on that that line if you like rather than you know people effectively building up permission to play over time and saying if you you know if you if you deliver enough things I'm gradually going to trust to allow you to work from home a day a week I don't I don't think that that works at all yeah, and of course, if you've hired the right people, then then that should follow that they will deliver, whether they're at home or in a cafe or wherever they may may be. But I think your other point, James, about the the, the talking about success and the storytelling is really really important, even more so when you're remote, because you know the things that you might see when you're in the office, just you know by by nature of walking past someone or overhearing them in the coffee queue about what they've been working on or what someone else has said about their contribution you don't get when you're remote working so you've, you've got to try and dial that up a little bit without blowing your own trumpet 
and and really be able to talk about that when someone says how are you I always say you know well don't just say I'm good or I'm fine use it as an opportunity to say something about what you've been doing you know I, I'm great because I've just managed to, to to achieve x or I've just had a great conversation with with y and and just very subtly be bringing in in the conversation the things that we might pick up you know more more uh, naturally in a in an office environment yeah and, and I think as a leader uh, you can help people to do that by by playing a, playing your part in in doing those sort of things. I like to do a, a you know a regular, relatively regular kind of summary out to the whole team. Whether it you know it, everybody aspires to do it fortnightly and then it turns out to be monthly or whatever whatever it is, but a reasonably regular kind of things I'm thinking about, things I'm doing, and I like to interject things that other people in the team have done or have told me or have mentioned or ideas they've had or whatever that gives them a little bit of a, of a window. Um, and in the same way, I hope that that my boss will mention the things that I'm doing to, to other people so that you, so that, that it's not contained just within your immediate influence team, but actually more widely people are starting to understand that the, the, the breadth of stuff that you're doing. Yeah, and that makes me think a really practical thing that people might do as a habit is if you're remote working just each day when you're talking to somebody mention something you've heard that someone else has been doing or contributing or or, or or has been talking about so it's not always you talking about yourself in terms of achievements but actually if everybody was to mention one a day for somebody else then by by nature of doing that there'd be a more natural understanding of the collective which might be something for people listening to think about now the other the other thing you've, you've talked about of course is that um, leadership is a, as a key component and leading people people in a remote world is is a little different than when you're with them day to day in the same location what other insights do you have James around leading people in a remote world that you feel might be useful I think first and foremost it comes back to the trust point you have to trust them and, and, it, and it's in their interest to do a good job I think you have to set out some ground rules I've always been quite clear of what I would consider the quid pro quo uh, that comes with uh, with remote working it's basic hygiene for current and future generations of people right so it's not about if you do remote working it's about how you do it and you, you have to you have to recognize that it's a it's a it's a must-have but that doesn't mean that it isn't also a bit of a perk for people uh, a lot of people are working in in worlds that it simply doesn't it simply doesn't work you know you can't do remote working uh, for for nurses in the NHS, as we're finding, particularly in the in the, in the current strange world we live in, you know, the cert certain jobs you'll never be able to have that benefit of. If you need to nip to the dentist, you can just nip to the dentist. If you need to take, if you want to progress your career, as I have, by working somewhere that's more distant from where you live and you don't want to move, there's a there's a perk there. And I think you have to be clear that, that there's a quid pro quo that says. Um, I'm happy to, to put in the extra hours and I think particularly people who work remotely are at, at risk of putting in far too many extra hours but I'm, I, I will go the extra mile because there's a there's a benefit back to me so I think it's making sure that people understand these are the these are the ground rules these are the things we expect um, it's not a free-for-all it's not just you know fill your boots we there, there are some there's some some guidelines some house rules that that sit around it 
you mentioned there, James, if I can just pick up, sorry, on the uh, yeah. on the point around, you know, the fact very often we do more hours if we work from home than we might if we didn't, because the, the commute time, for example, you might work in instead of being commuting. What, what do you in particular find that you've adopted to really stop yourself from getting up in the morning and working and then sort of looking at your watch at bedtime and thinking, oh, gosh, you know, it's bedtime already? Because I know you're a big fan of our, of our Bank of Me work. So what, what have you adopted as as not just a leader? but just as a, as a human being that's helped you to make sure you get that right balance? I think there's a real risk of accepting every meeting request that comes your way. Uh, I think if, you, if I accepted everything that came into my inbox, I could very easily be on calls. When you take into account the kind of global team nature from six in the morning till eight in the evening easily without even coming out of the of the room I'm in yeah. so I think you have to, you have to manage your diary carefully to make sure that you block out time to think time to work and time to get off your chair and go and have a walk in the garden or make a cup of tea or whatever else I think we we you know we, we don't one of the things I've got in the habits of doing when I'm at the at the Specsavers office is is going to a lunch break I'll take a fairly lengthy walk to wherever I'm going to get some food from rather than just walk straight there and straight back to the desk. I think you, you need to do the same thing, the same thing remotely. And mix it up a bit. I've got um, I've, I've got a tripod with an iPad on the top of it. Uh, I'll send you a picture of it if you like, uh, that I use for, if I'm, if I'm presenting, I'll stand up as I would if I was in the room. Uh, sometimes I'll do our teams, our team check-in calls stood up. Uh, I might do them in the garden if the sun's out, but I, I kind of build some physical items around me that mean that I can vary a little bit and I'm not just sat in front of the screen in the same chair in the same place uh, all day to, to try to to get a bit of that kind of normality of uh, of, of things going on uh, I think the the other thing that's working well as a team right now as we're forced into the remoteness is bringing in some of the kind of social check-in um, stuff we are we're doing a, a Friday four o'clock virtual pub gathering we've done a couple of quizzes we've done a a video weekly uh that we get everybody to film not 30 seconds 60 seconds of what they're doing what they're thinking about bit of fun whatever we we did actually have one person with no uh, clothes at all which was a bit worrying <laughs> uh, you know we, and then that was edited together by one of our one of our team into into a weekly kind of his his, his what the teams are, are up to and it just keeps that that kind of human element of it and and I think the other the other key thing is is thinking about mental health. Specsavers is really fortunate in that we've got a team of mental health first aiders uh, as part of the, the the business generally. And uh, I think even if it's in, even outside of the current lockdown situation, people do need to think about if I'm on my own in a room all day and my interactions are via phone, video, and so on, and not face to face. How is how is that affecting me? Uh, and uh, you know, being open to um, the fact that it might be, uh, and rather than thinking oh, I'll be fine, I can just I'll, I'll just just crack on with it. I guess the other the one other tip uh, that I, I try to do, and I I'm, I think I'm probably as guilty as many people is, if you're doing a call, notwithstanding you know, don't do eight hours of calls a day. Put put down put down your phone. Turn off your your email whatever it is put aside all the distractions I, I really in you know in physical face-to-face -face meetings I, I, I hate people who sit there on their phone doing something else whether it's work or otherwise it's really distracting you can't focus 
and it's it's really easy to get into that habit where if you're on a um, if you're on a conference call where you're perhaps not the lead presenter or the lead participant, but you're in a, in a sort of a listening, observing, learning point of view, it's really easy to just pick up your phone and check your email or have a look on Twitter or whatever it is, and it's it's just it's just distracting. Just because you're not on display to the rest of the room, if you've got your camera turned off, doesn't mean that you shouldn't play by the same rules of uh, helping yourself to focus on, on what you're up to. Yeah, and ultimately it is about focus, isn't it? Because even if you're not seen, it's it, are you being productive? Are you being focused? Are you therefore getting the most from the time that you're giving to that meeting or that that interaction? And if you're not, then almost don't do it. So I think that's a, a really, you know, really valuable and easy to talk about, but but much harder to do when we've got so many devices around us. But I love the I love the idea that you're doing presentations and meetings from your garden, standing up with your iPad. So I would love a photo of your setup up around your home for us to, to publish along with this podcast James thank you just we, we could talk about this whole area for hours because I know we're both passionate about making it work for productivity for well-being for performance but James before we finish is, is there anything else that you would would say is the sort of real um, golden heart of making remote working work based on your experience I think getting the business bought into it is really hard I've found in every organisation I've worked with, I'd say, apart from Specsavers, and, and maybe that's because I've not been here long enough to find them. Uh, but generally speaking, there's always a few people that don't believe it can work. And you have to prove it. Uh, you have to do it. If you need to do it under the radar, if you need to uh, do the kind of self-marketing thing, you have to prove you prove that it works. I think you can find examples of, of people who, who make it who make it work really, really well. I've worked with I worked with a developer back in the mid 2000s who we were all in in Bristol in an office. Rich Collett, if you're listening, hope you are. Uh, he was in his house in Devon. That was just how it worked. He lived he lived in Devon. He worked in Devon. He was one of the most likable and well liked people in the team. We tried to include him as much as possible and make him feel part of the team. And I think you know that that really really worked and it demonstrated to the to the wider business. Even if it was only one person getting it right, it showed that it can be done. And uh, the, the, the I come back to the outcome trust culture thing. Um, you, you if you focus, focus on the outcome again, one of the one of the people I worked with years ago, you know, she and her husband work from everywhere around the world. They will literally appear on the beach. They'll be it pop up in San Francisco. They just travel and work, um, and they are totally focused on what the outcome is uh, and delivering it. And nobody knows really where they are. If the green dot on, on team says you're available, you're available. If, the, if it's red, you're not. And, you know, people, people can, can deliver the value. I think the, the other thing is one of the things that we're learning, particularly from this enforced constant remote working that we're in at the moment, is that sometimes it is really, really good to get around a whiteboard. Sometimes I find myself wrapping up calls by saying, We'll just we'll just get around a whiteboard next week and figure it out and remembering that actually we can't um, right now. And I think it would be really easy for this to become the norm and not recognise what the benefits are of joining uh, physically together to, um, uh, to to work on on gnarly topics um, uh, that that need debate or that need drawings or all of those all of those sort of things. So technology works well, but it's not the be all end all. And as I say, the the, the number one thing for me is the is is the trust. If you trust that your people are have it's in their interests to shine, then my experience is that they generally do. Yeah, and 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 I do absolutely. I'm with you there in terms of the trust. 
because if you if you you've got the trust you're outcome focused and you're discussing how how are we all working and how do we make it work so that everybody gets what they need then that that's a, a good recipe to start success so James thank you as I say a huge area we could talk for for many more hours I'm sure but lots of advice lots of good experience that you've drawn upon there to, to help others listening that that hopefully will mean that that they can take a little away, try something new, add to what they've got and be even more successful in the mix. So so thank you for joining us. And um, we wish you ongoing success at Specsavers, but also personally as you continue through your career and perhaps we'll have you back on again and you can give us the next chapter in, in how you've been getting on in a few months time. I'd, I'd enjoy that. Thanks for having me. Thank you, James. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. Continue the journey at www.theculturebuilders.com.